Hello and welcome to this week's Pinkie Pod P-P-P-Pow. All right, all right. So before I get started on the probably two, two strange, somewhat unsolved cases linked by one specific thing. <laughs> How's that for vague? I'm just going to say I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, which like, total podcast junkie and some of them are slickly produced and and that's cool and they're really good and have all these sound effects and this and that and then some of them are more like me just kind of raw and out there and I like that and so if you're here expecting slick and produced (laughs) yeah that's not gonna happen I uh Gosh, probably they've even been, if you've been here since the beginning, they've been a little uneven because I started out on just my phone and then I was given for my birthday the microphone and all that. And I can barely use Audacity. Okay, it's not that hard, but I'm not trying to get that deep. Hey, you're lucky you get a little music, okay? Okay. If I do too much on it, I'll get carried away and I'll be ridiculous. So what I'm saying is if if this is your first time here, it's just me. Just talking about shit, see, swear right off the bat, that I think is interesting. Usually ends up being paranormal, true crime, occult, spiritualism. I've done episode on Houdini, which was really popular. Uh, Demon possession, which actually also crossed into true crime. You know, whatever. Whatever I think, a history of Tarot, whatever I think sounds cool. So if you're down with that... Maybe we'll get on with this week's episode, which, by the way, I thought I had already recorded and half of it was missing. Huh. Cool. And before I get into this first, technically, hmm, I suppose technically it's a cold case, although it's not necessarily a murder. It's unsolved. Uh, It would be cool if you wanted to join me on PodPinky at Twitter. That's Twitter. And Instagram at pinky underscore podcast because I like to share photos and think, you know, other interesting things if I come along when I'm doing episodes. So you could see them there. You could also come to patreon.com slash pinky swear press and support me a little bit if you like and uh, get extra content, get a community going and help me brush up. Maybe I could get an extra sound effect. I don't know. Just saying. <laughs> and I have pinkyswearpress.com. I also, by the way, do these little mini pods, as I call them, where I don't really research. I just find something creepy or cool to read. And what I really like is listener stories. It can be UFOs, paranormal, creepy, sleep paralysis, whatever. You know, just as long as it's you think it will be cool, I'll read it. I'll read it on air, as they say. So maybe it's a good thing that my recording screwed up and you know real quick here let's check am i still going i think it's still going we'll see is is are there bars are there bars yes there we are all right because i think the other one was a little discombobulated so i'm going to rearrange it 
and I didn't have to tell you that, but here we go. I'm going to begin by reading straight from strangeco.blogspot.com in which Mr. Adamski weirds everybody out. The author here is Undyne, that's what it says, blogger of the grotesque and arabesque. Remarkably lifelike. I like that. And I think they have a Twitter, which I just now noticed. Uh, horrible sanity. I might see if I can find them later. Now, this is a case I researched, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. was kind of sitting there. And I'm going to tell you straight up that the more I researched, the less I knew. And in my first recording of this, I kind of read it to you that way, where you got to be just as fucking confused as I was and just as frustrated. But I guess I'll spare you that this time around. Maybe the whole screwed up recording was a sign that I should not do that to you if I want to keep any listeners. So I will read this decent summary by Undyne, nicely written, and then we'll see if I can pick out some of the details that I had come across. So, Zygmunt Jan Adamski was a Polish man who was forced to flee his country during World War II. He found refuge in Tingley, Yorkshire, where he became a coal miner. He married in 1951. Sadly, before many years passed, his wife, Leocadia, or Lottie, became an invalid. And by the way, Zygmunt is also known as Ziggy, and I may revert to that because they're easier to say, and I like it. So Ziggy was devoted to his spouse and naturally wanted to spend as much time caring for her as possible. Additionally, his own health was poor. So in 1980, the 56-year-old applied for early retirement. He received word that his application had been rejected. Soon afterward, the company made a review of this decision and this time the application was accepted. However, by the time the reversal was made, Mr. Adamski's employment status was, to say the least, irrelevant. June 6, 1980, began as a perfectly normal day for Ziggy. He was, of course, displeased with his company denying him early retirement. Remember, he didn't know yet. But he showed no sign of being unusually upset. A cousin and her son, remember them, were visiting the Adamskis from Poland. The trio spent the day visiting the local shops, then returned home for a meal of fish and chips. Adamski was looking forward to the following day when he was supposed to give away his goddaughter in marriage. Remember that? <laughs> he even had prepared a speech for the occasion. So at 3.30 in the afternoon, Ziggy told his family he would go buy some potatoes. The shop was only a few hundred yards away, so he expected to be gone just a short time. He left with nothing but his wallet. Ziggy never made it to the store. In fact, he was never seen alive again. When he failed to return home that evening, Lottie called the police. Law enforcement made extensive inquiries and local newspapers also publicized the disappearance, but no one could offer information. All anyone could say was that one moment a neighbor saw him walking in the direction of his store, and the next moment he was gone. On the afternoon of June 11, Trevor Parker, the son of a coal merchant in Todd Morden, which apparently means like death or something, grave death, murder death, I forgot, but how appropriate. Todd Morden 
a town some 25 miles away from where Adamski was last seen, arrived in his father's yard. He was stunned to find a man's body lying in a hollow at the top of a 10-foot-high pile of coal. My note, I've read many times, it was 12 feet. So there's our first, hmm, I don't know. Adding to his confusion was the fact that he had already been at the yard that morning and was certain that the body had not been there at the time. Between his two visits, the gates had been left unlocked in case any deliveries arrived. After recovering from his shock, Trevor Parker summoned police and an ambulance, even though it was immediately obvious that the man was quite dead. I don't know why they wrote that. I mean, you know, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Well, the ambulance, but I think that's kind of standard. Investigators were quickly able to establish that the body was that of the missing Zygmunt Adamski. But that was the only question in the case anyone was able to answer. The more everyone studied the business, the weirder it got. For one thing, how did he get up there? My question too. It would have been difficult for anyone to climb up the coal pile since recent rains had left it greasy and slippery. I want you to remember that too. It apparently had been raining quite a bit all morning. For someone with Adamski's health issues, which we'll get into, this person says it would have been impossible. I'm not sure impossible, but I think it's highly unlikely. Now, the body was still wearing the jacket Adamski donned before leaving his house, but his shirt was missing, along with his watch and wallet. Those items were never found. And there were strange oval burn marks on the back of his neck and on his shoulders. The autopsy established that Adamski died on the day his body was found, sometime between 11.15 a.m. and 1.15 p.m. There were no physical injuries aside from the burns. The pathologist thought they were caused by some sort of corrosive substance, but he could not say what. The burns were also covered with a gel, which no one was able to identify. All he could say was that Adamski probably died of a heart attack and natural causes was the final verdict in this most unnatural case. This of course does nothing to explain what happened to Adamski. Where was he during the five, six days between his disappearance and his death? His body showed only one day's growth of stubble, which suggests he had been shaving. But no one reported seeing him. Was he voluntarily hiding all that time? Had he been kidnapped? In either case, how did he wind up on top of a pile of coal? The coal yard was in a busy area, but on the day his body appeared there, no one saw or heard anything unusual. The coal pile showed no signs of footprints or other indentations to indicate what possibly would have been an arduous climb. And if he had been murdered, this would have been a remarkably stupid place to leave a body. I concur. To date, no one has been able to offer a definitive answer of this mystery. And I would like to note this is written in 2020. So weird was Adamski's death that it has been linked to aliens. In the weeks before and after Adamski vanished, there were a number of UFO sightings around West Yorkshire, particularly in Todd Morden, where the body was found. Alan Godfrey, who is the police constable, that's my research, they say policemen, were called to the coal yard by Trevor Parker, reported a peculiar incident on the night of 28, 1980. 
This is after they found the body. Godfrey says he was driving on patrol, saw a large object hovering on the road ahead of him. He stopped his car and tried calling the station on his car radio and mobile walkie-talkie, but he could not get through. He later found that a substantial amount of time had passed, of which he had no recollection. He later had himself hypnotized in an effort to learn what had happened during this missing time. In this trance, he described being taken inside the UFO and examined by extraterrestrials. Now, that is the very summed up version of all of it. But the reason I read that is because, honestly, that's about all you can ever find about this freaking weird case, okay? I'm going to fill in a few little things, but I wanted to start off with something more succinct and less all over the place than my notes. And trust me, dear listener, I, I tried to look up more specifics, and it's just the same articles over and over, and a lot of them just copy each other. So, but there are a few details not in this little wonderful blog post. Um, although they also had some nice extra details. So, it was five days later when they found him, as is stated. One thing interesting is that Alan Godfrey, that police constable, apparently found him face up eyes wide open. Uh, there was no evidence that anyone had climbed up or down the coal pile. It was mentioned about how it had been raining quite a bit. So, you know, you could possibly wash away footprints in dust or this or that, but, but there's no dents in the pile. And there's a reason why we call it dead weight. A dead body feels is is heavier to carry i mean you're getting no assistance at all it's just limp so it's dead weight from your own body weight and then the body weight of carrying a, someone else you would certainly leave indentations and i've seen a picture of this coal pile i would imagine some of it would slide you might argue that, well, it's not as if anybody paid so close attention to it that they would know if anything had been disturbed. But I feel like people who are trained to see these things would have noticed, hey, it looks like somebody stepped up this side. Oh, this stuff looks like it's all slid down here. What do you think? They would have mentioned it at least, right? They would have said, well, this does look, but who knows? And there's no mention of it. Yeah, so it seems very difficult for anybody to have carried somebody up there and leave no indication of that at all. Or even Ziggy himself to have, you know, I would almost imagine him, okay, they talk about him being in poor health. And there's another theory about this, which I'll get into later, but they talk about him being in poor health and how slippery it was. I, I would even imagine that he might have slipped and fell more than once. So wouldn't you, wouldn't you be able to maybe tell that something like that had happened? Right? So regardless, uh, I started to say, you know, the, all these days that he was missing, there's no records of him being in any hospital. There's no records of him being anywhere. Apparently there's not a single person that saw him. No eyewitnesses to any, nobody saw him anywhere. Nobody saw him wandering. Nobody saw him pop up anywhere. Uh, 
Nobody, also importantly, for something I'm going to tell you as I look over the notes here, nobody thought anything strange with his neighbors or family. Another weird thing is that shirt that's missing because when he left, he was properly dressed. But when they found him, the watch and wallet were gone with the shirt. So you might think a robbery, but except why would you take the shirt? And here's where it's really weird. But all of the clothes were on him. You know, when I read that, told you that blog post, you remember it said properly dressed, except that shirt is gone. So it appeared that somebody had taken the clothes off. The shirt is gone for whatever reason. And then put the clothes back on because it's also mentioned that the buttons were all wonky, the trousers, even the shoes, none of it was done up properly. As if a child who did not know how to dress in adult clothes. So that's really strange. And then we have the burns on the neck and the gel that no lab ever identified, a little more extra detail. Apparently it wasn't just the doctor, they had it analyzed. So obviously the big questions here, how did he get on the pile? Was it himself or someone else? Where was he for five days? And what are these freaking burns on his neck? And it, it has the appearance that maybe somebody tried to heal them, right? That's what, that's what I immediately thought with the gel. But how does this connect to UFOs? Because the blog post didn't really tell you that. Well, let's go back to Alan Godfrey, our police constable. And let's talk about that, that little quick summary of him supposedly being abducted. So a little more details. He was called to investigate a bizarre report of cows appearing and disappearing from a local council estate. And so it's 5 a.m. on route to the scene. And he saw what he thought was an overturned bus on Bumley Road. Or maybe with my handwriting, it's, handwriting, it's Burnley Road. No, I think it's Bumley. <laughs> when he got closer, he could see that it was no bus. And it was hovering five feet off the ground. He decided to stay put when he couldn't contact anybody. And I guess he stepped out of the car to sketch what he saw. And it was a diamond-shaped object. It was apparently about a half an hour later that he suddenly found himself in his patrol car. And I've read that he was maybe going the opposite direction of where he previously was farther down the road. Another interesting thing I read, but I can't verify it, is that his boots were split along the soles, which is really weird, right? Like it almost like, was he dragged? I don't know. But he was back in his car and he had no memory of the, this missing space between. So he drove back down the road to where the object originally was and it was gone. Went ahead, I guess, and finished up with the, the cows, which were later discovered in a field behind a locked gate with no hoof prints in the muddy field to indicate they had gone through it in either direction. Mm. So then the press, I guess, found out about it, and it, and it pretty much just about ended his career, and I think this is important to note for further discussion. Um, you know, it... I, it gave his, like, these kids were made fun of. He was probably made fun of. You know, it's the 1980s. 
even though that there had been abduction stories since the 50s, you know, really big craze of them, you know, this still wasn't something that a lot of people gave much credence to. And it still kind of isn't, but it's more popular now. So there was apparently, you know, the press found out and some UFO researchers contacted him and that's when he did the hypnosis. And by the way, there's a video of it if you look it up, I guess. Um, And journalist John Sherrard saw this video and there's actually an article um, in the Sunday Mirror which I believe my British friends have told me that that's basically like a tabloid. It's very widely distributed, so so you can know how this might have taken off like wildfire and might have been ridiculed. So Godfrey is quoted as saying during part of this hypnotism, they're horrible, small, three to four feet, like five-year-old lads. There are eight of them. He's touching me. He's feeling at my clothes. They have hands and heads like a lamp they keep touching me they are making noises joseph i know him as joseph he has told me not to be afraid they are robots they're not human they're robots they're his they are joseph's robots there's a bloody dog it's horrible the size of an alstation now i want to note that bloody could just be british slang but the more i thought about it it actually does kind of say sound like he's saying that that the dog is actually bloody like maybe it's being uh maybe it's being dissected and by the way all stations are like a german shepherd so this you may have already connected is that people then started to kind of make these connections that aha ziggy was abducted by aliens and the burns on his necks must be from experiments And either they accidentally killed him or it scared him enough to die. Because Godfrey made some comments about how scared he looked, which again, I'll get to that. Uh, And then I guess the aliens are just like, oh shit, oops, you know, and dropped him on a coal pile. I don't know. But this case eventually just became more famous as a UFO case in England than this mysterious unsolved mystery. Now, apparently... There were some other tidbits that came to light. Uh, Let me skip here. I want to get to a better notes about it. In 2006, John Hansen and David Sankey looked into this. And apparently they spoke to a close friend of the Adamskis. Curiously, no matter how much I looked this up, I couldn't find the name of, of some of these supposed people, okay? Maybe they didn't want to be named. I don't know, but there, there's I can't find their names no matter how many articles I look at. So one of the things about the neck burns was that it may have been, people were talking about some type of acupuncture, uh, a treatment called moxibustion, where the cotton balls are soaked in alcohol and ignited against the skin. And that that's fucked up, right? <laughs> I know we humans do some crazy stuff in the name of uh, wellness, and and Ziggy did have health issues, but what the hell? Now, someone else I've seen call it cupping, but I don't think that's the same thing. I'm pretty sure I've seen cupping, and I don't think you have cotton balls. Now, granted, I don't believe it's actually supposed to burn you, 
so it's possible there was an accidental, whoever did it to him did it wrong, right? Is the idea. And they put the ointment on to help him. But again, we, why don't we have any other discussion? Or I say again, this is the first time I brought this up. There's no discussion of him going anywhere. Who's the acupuncturist? Who's the healer? Who's the, who's the holistic person? I can find nothing about that. Just that there seems to be a general acceptance that, oh, yes, he had these things done. Okay, but by whom? And did you ask them? And did they say, oh, yeah, I saw him? Because here's the reason that this is messed up. Here's the reason it's suspicious. He was missing for five days. These burns were determined to have taken place two days before he died. Two days. So if he's missing for five days and he goes somewhere, oh, and remember the fact that he only had beard stubble and not five days of growth. So he's apparently able to shave. Uh, apparently he looked like he had been, well, except for the rain, it had been raining a lot, but uh, you know, he was well kept, I guess you could say well kept. And the burns were two days before he died. So either he's somewhere voluntarily by himself having a good time. And I did see somebody theorize, oh, he had a mistress. Okay, but who is she? Why didn't they find her? Did this woman accidentally hurt him and somehow manage to carry him up a coal pile and dump him on top? I find that very difficult and nobody saw anything. Was it just a bungled police case? And when they decided he died of natural causes, they didn't try very hard to find out because, which is messed up because I think the family needs to know, well, who put him there and why did you do that? Could it be, which I theorized that the person really it was an accident or he did just have a heart attack, but they thought they were going to get in trouble. So they're like, oh shit. And they disposed of him. So the family would at least find him. I don't know. It's really freaking weird, right? Um, and there's no indication that he was having an affair. Uh, because another interesting thing, which will kind of get us into something here, is that when... Lottie spoke to the police about him being missing. She actually said she was afraid he had been kidnapped. So what does that have to do with anything? Okay, and this is something else this, you know, John and David had apparently found out. So this wedding of his goddaughter. One details that he was supposed to give her away, but he felt that this was the other family member's responsibility, and he wasn't on good terms with this other family member. Now, from what I could find that this man was probably the husband of Ziggy's cousin, uh, and we know none of their names. And this woman had stayed with Ziggy and Lottie after filing a restraining order against her now estranged husband. Um, I guess that would put them not on good terms. So the theory is that Ziggy made an excuse about going to the store, but was actually going to go talk to this guy whose name I cannot find. And that he was captured and held in a garden shed. I don't know where they came up with garden shed. I guess the guy had a garden shed. And the burns are conjectured as being battery acid. Mm. Supposedly police spoke 
with this person. But he was never charged. And again, you know, there's no name. Uh, the same people who looked into this in 2006 were apparently denied access to the coroner's files because they were not considered interested parties. Now, before you think that's totally suspicious, you don't just get copies of coroner reports and files unless you're a policeman or maybe, you know, a family member. So I don't actually think that's strange. These people were not family members. They were not police officers police officers on the case. I think one was actually a retired investigator I had read, but they were not currently in the business and this was not an open case, right? So, um, I mean, a lot of these sound like halfway decent theories, but here again, we run into, so, okay, did nobody notice that this guy was acting weird? And if his estranged wife had been living with Ziggy and them, wouldn't they have had some contact? nobody thought he was acting weird around the garden shed. Nothing weird was going on. Why did Ziggy apparently still get to shave? How did he, how do you get battery acid on your neck if it's an accident? Cause they seem to think it could have been an accident too. And I'm like, well, why do you think that if he kidnapped him? And then if you're committing this crime, why do you go take him to a very public place and leave him in a very public position? Why don't you bury him? Why don't you? It doesn't make any fucking sense, people. Yo, right? Makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> Did I already say that? Uh, yeah, they could never identify this ointment either. Um, I found a couple of reports that they'd actually found him face down. And that it was perhaps moved, and that's why police saw him face up. But I don't know. I don't know about that, because Alan Godfrey sure does talk a lot about um, his vacant eyes. And let me find that. There's a quote somewhere. And by the way, there are interviews. Uh, I think Godfrey is about 72, 73 years old. You can find interviews with him. I think I watched a video. It was about 2018. Um, there was at one point where he thought maybe the story he told under hypnosis was a dream. Uh, but he also says it's still possible that Ziggy was taken by aliens. And he mentions other, in this interview, he mentions other abductions like the Travis Walton incident in Arizona in 1975. If you're into UFOs, you know what that is. I think maybe he was just embarrassed and felt weird about it. A lot of people kind of go back and forth later because he's also written a book about his experiences. Apparently he, ha he has had more than one and he also talks about Ziggy and the book is called Who or What Were They by Alan Godfrey. Here's the quote. The thing he'll never forget is Ziggy's wide open eyes staring up. It sent a shudder through him. He said it looked like he'd literally been scared to death. He said someone or something placed Ziggy on that pile. So Godfrey swears that, you know, that he just looked terrified, scared to death. And I guess he kind of immediately felt like he might have had a heart attack from being scared to death. Um, have I covered everything? There are apparently 
is it the Pennine Mountain Range? Uh, my, my Brits can let me know if I'm saying that wrong. In Yorkshire is apparently notorious for UFO sightings, and that is in that area. So, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what do you think? I think no matter what side you fall on, like, oh, it's not aliens. Somebody left him there. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I don't know if it's aliens. I don't know what it is, but I think we can agree that it's pretty fucking weird and nobody can explain how he got on this coal pile to this day. Nobody. Nobody has an answer for this. Nobody has an answer for this. And we're not even sure if that's, you know, what the burns are. None of this makes any sense. Where's his shirt? I guess, it, I guess he could have taken his shirt off after he got burned because it f fucked up the shirt. That sort of makes sense to me, but why is it all disheveled? Well, ah, yes, that was it. Um, because another theory was that there's this stuff, there's this thing, this phenomenon called ball lightning. It's just what it sounds like, I guess, little, little balls of lightning. Some people theorize that he got struck by ball lightning and then wandered around dazed and confused. And then they found him on the coal pile. But I still have, it still isn't quite perfect, right? Because, okay, let's say he got struck like that. And it would kind of make sense that maybe for some reason in between then, because remember the burns were two days before he was found. Maybe he got undressed for some reason because, yeah, he was burned, right? And he, someone or maybe he himself tried to find something to rub on it, whatever he did. And then he didn't put his shirt back on. And it would also make sense that if he was dazed and confused that he couldn't put his clothes on properly if he got struck by lightning. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, and I can even accept that he might have been so messed up in his head that somehow he wandered in there and because he was a coal miner, he had no ties to this place, by the way. He did not do business with them. He had no business of being there that day, as in there was no appointments. But maybe because he was a coal miner, this was something familiar. You follow? So I can even go with that. Okay, he got struck by this lightning. At some point, maybe he got in a cold bath. I don't know. Maybe he, you know, whatever he tried to do. Maybe he jumped in the lake and he put on his clothes all crooked. Okay, makes sense. And then he wandered into this place that seemed familiar. Oh, coal. I know coal. Okay, I can go with all that. I can totally go with all that. My problem is if he had those burns two days before, why is there not one single witness that said, oh yeah, I saw that guy walking around. I wondered if something was wrong with him. Why is there not one single witness? Did they not question everybody? I'm, that is the problem. That is the crux of the problem with this whole story is where are the witnesses, right? Where are the witnesses? It just doesn't make sense. So, if you know any more about this case of Zygmunt Adamski, A-D-A-M-S-K-I, Zygmunt, you know, let me know. And I've seen some misspellings, and I've seen Godfrey called Goddard. That's incorrect. It's Godfrey. Alan Godfrey was the police constable. 
I've seen a few other discrepancies that after Googling over and over, I think I've tossed a couple of those out. It's like, yeah, because, you know, it's like a game of telephone. One person copies off another thing off another thing, and then they embellish. It would be easy to think that some of this is just urban legend, but there was legitimately, there are certain aspects that are verified through every single article. So, fucking weird, right? So... He wasn't murdered, as far as we know, but we just cannot figure out what happened to him during that five days, and it remains a mystery. Dun, dun, dun. I'm not even going to look and see if this is re still recording. Maybe because I looked before I accidentally stopped it, we'll just go on faith. So I am now going to just more quickly go over a case that I didn't do a deep dive into although there's really not much more to say about it than this whole Ziggy thing. But it's interesting because they have a similar cause of death, if you will, and, and, and there's strangeness around it, shall we say, very strange. The mysterious paranormal death of Christopher Case. And once again, I'm going to start out at uh, just a website because I didn't actually do a deep dive into this. I was going to maybe have it as a mini pod and just read it as a story. And then I realized this would fit very nicely with Ziggy. So this is mysteriousuniverse.org. The mysterious paranormal death of Christopher Case. Yes. Now this one was written by Brent Swanser with a C, January, 2020. So April, 1991, 35 year old Christopher Case seemed to have everything going for him a successful artist manager at a Seattle-based music company, which I want to note is Muzak, which is exactly what you think it is. That's who he worked for. He was making good money and happy in his life and work. He had no known enemies and was well-liked by his peers, so it was odd when his friends began to get a strange series of phone calls from a noticeably scared and addled case. These calls he breathlessly claimed that someone was out to get him and that he was the target of a curse and that a witch was attacking him with supernatural powers and spells. Case's friend, Sammy Suter, I hope I'm saying that right. If you're out there, I'm sorry. It's S-A-M-M-Y-E of Fayetteville, North Carolina, which by the way is where Case was originally from, would later say of one such bizarre message. He said, they're after me. I am very, very afraid extremely afraid. I could die from this. He said he was afraid and that the witch had been attacking him all night and cutting him. He said he'd woken up with little cuts on the ends of his fingers. Several other friends received similar disturbing calls from a very paranoid sounding case who was saying things like he had only one week left to live. And they began to worry about him. It was unusual because he never expressed interest in the paranormal and had been mentally sound and in good spirits. So for him to suddenly start making wild, terrified claims of being targeted by a witch's curse was alarming and outlandish. His friends started to worry about his mental health, as you would, but before anything could be done, the strange situation took a sharp turn for the dark and macabre. April 18, 1991. Case did not show up to work, and all calls to him remain unanswered. In light of the unsettling claims that Case had been making during the previous week, this was seen as a bit suspicious. 
so friends called police to go to his Seattle apartment to see if he was all right. When no one answered and the door was locked, the police left, but they returned again the next day and there was still no contact from Case. This time the door was unlocked and the officers let themselves in. There in an empty bathtub was the dead body of Christopher Case, fully clothed and seeming to be knelt in a prayer position. The body showed no signs of injury or struggle, and it got more mysterious when the area was searched. The scene of the death itself painted a bizarre picture. Around the body were 10 burnt out candles, and there were crucifixes scattered about. The whole apartment indeed was covered in crucifixes, amulets, and arcane talismans. Along the bases of the walls and door frames were carefully laid lines of salt, and the entryway to the apartment held a strange geometric pattern drawn in salt as well. Now my witches out there, yo, or just people into paranormal, you know what that is. It's protection, salt for protection. This man was desperately trying to protect himself from anything coming in. And it's interesting that it was along the walls and everything, not just coming in the door. He was, that's a lot of salt. I'm just saying. So to continue, there were also numerous books on witchcraft, black magic, and the occult everywhere. But the most intriguing were a series of handwritten letters that told a tale that brought the death into the realm of the truly strange. And these were written by Christopher, apparently. The letters explained that Case had gone on a business trip. By the way, friends, he made a lot of friends in Seattle, and I guess they verify this, or at least that he told them this, that he had, was going on the trip and when he came back. So it's not just in these letters. But he'd gone on a trip to San Francisco, California, and he met a woman who claimed to be an expert on ancient Egyptian music. Now, Case, this was one of his hobbies. He loved ancient music. And it's maybe not a thing that a lot of people are into, right? So they struck up a conversation. Now, in the letter, Case came, claims that the woman made a pass at him. I had read that, you know, it became clear to him that she really liked him. Now, he was single because he traveled a lot and he was uh, really into fitness and this and that. And, you know, I don't know. He was just doing his thing. And she was also apparently 20 years older. I'm adding this myself. Um, and he was maybe not into that. But also, she was too intense for him, even though he enjoyed talking about the music. So, point being, he politely refused. She apparently became a little put out, claimed to be a witch, and said she was going to put a, put a curse on him. Now, he didn't believe in witchcraft or any of that stuff, and his friends attest to that, that he didn't believe in any of this stuff. So, but he still found it, you know, unsettling. She was really intense. He already thought she was. But apparently his mind changed somewhere along the way because he started having strange phenomena in his home. In his letters, he talks about seeing mysterious shadow figures warming about his apartment. And I want to add again that I had seen some things that he made phone calls, not just like the day he died or the day before, like he was telling his friends these same things. Um, so mysterious shadow figures, waking up covered in bruises, 
inexplicable cuts. I read that he heard voices. Uh, and so he did start reading books on the occult to find ways to protect himself and was looking for professional help. Uh, I guess he even stayed in some hotels to stay away from his own place, I guess, but it didn't help. Authorities apparently were very convinced that Case was serious about what he was writing and that he genuinely felt under threat. And his friends, once they got over, like, this is some crazy shit you're telling me, uh, were like, but he was genuinely sounded terrified. So an autopsy was performed and the cause of death was acute myocarditis. Now this blog lists it as a heart attack. It's more than that. It's usually caused by an infection. It's not something that you inherit. It's not a simple heart disease. More on that later. Case was young, fit, didn't smoke, worked out a lot. Apparently no, no heart issues in his family, but this is not an inherited thing. Police interviews showed that, you know, again, and well, of course they couldn't interview him after, so he's, he's talking about here the interviews with his friends. That, again, he did not believe in this stuff, and he was level-headed and professional. And so nobody could figure out what would send him into this spiral of believing in all this stuff. So then I went to Reddit, because, you know, Reddit. And, uh, well, I'll back up in a minute. But something that I liked as, as an interesting theory when I was, had looked, I did look into this a little bit the other day. And by the way, there's some people who think this is an urban legend, but it's actually in Seattle Times and Seattle PI and other, you know, archives of Seattle newspapers and the police took it seriously. So it's not just an urban legend, has more been added to the story since it was first investigated. I suppose that's possible, but a lot of this seems to agree with each other. It's not a case of Ziggy's where it goes in crazy, stupid circles. Petty Trash Panda is the user, I love this, the nocebo effect, which is kind of like placebo, right? And if you've listened to my podcast, you'll know why I like this, because I do think that our minds are very powerful. They are. So this actually made some sense to me. So this per person puts it this way. Whereby if people believe strongly enough that something will cause them harm, it actually does. It's a recognized medical phenomenon but can also apply to strongly held beliefs in supernatural phenomena, like curses. I have read an article about a medically verified study where people who believe they have been poisoned have had all the physical symptoms associated with the drug they think they ingested, including their organs ceasing to function, despite them never having been poisoned or even have been in contact with a poison. There is a case where a guy was in a clinical trial and he went to the ER with all the late stage symptoms of a potentially fatal overdose, only for it to be discovered he was in the control group on sugar pills. His talk screens were clear. When it was proven to him that he had not ingested anything that could kill him, he recovered. So witchcraft, there's been evidence of people who died after being cursed because they were true believers and they basically caused their own deaths from this nocebo effect because they could not believe anything else was true. I like that they mention here the Pendleton witch trials are a famous example. 
but there are also modern cases covered by medical professionals that have shown how people can convince themselves that it's real and then they die because they don't believe living is possible because of a curse. So I do actually think that is a really good point. I do think it's a good point. Um, we can convince ourselves of all kinds of things. Think about poltergeist. That is a recognized, most popular explanation, you know, theory, very widely accepted is that poltergeist is the result of the person's mind and emotions. And I've always said that like, okay, so even if it's not a real ghost, that is fucking amazing. The fact that you could do that cause that kind of disturbance just with your mind and your emotions and you might not even know you're doing it. Remember when I said, imagine if we knew how to do this shit on purpose. I think this is a very plausible thing that he somehow 100% convinced himself. I think that's possible because some other snippets that I, that I had come across were that, uh, and I forgot the name of, um, uh, the store, there was apparently a uh, couple of bookstores around here he's going to. I'm not sure they still exist. Um, one guy really tried to help him, though, at one of the last ones. And, and uh, I, the guy had said that, like, that Christopher was truly terrified that he really believed this. So he had given him Christian books and Bibles and that Christopher had gone in and just grabbed all the crucifixes. And he had gone to occult stores and just everywhere just for this for about a week and i had also read somewhere that he even pretty much said exactly what day you know by the seventh day i'll be dead and he was an interesting thing too is that okay here's something else on reddit uh, another thing that christopher called the, the friend sammy whispers in the apartment that he couldn't find a source for yeah i knew i knew that there was something about whispers and a feeling of being watched so here's actual dates that that on april 12th christopher had told that friend sammy about the woman that he had met about the woman that he had met ah and here it says she angrily declared that she was a witch she'd curse him he'd regret what he'd done and that he'd be dead by week's end. So, you know, here's the thing. Nobody knows who this woman was. Nobody found her. Some people find it odd that nobody could ever find this woman. My question would be, how many people actually looked for this woman? She lived in a totally different state. He never said her name. I don't even know if he said what she looked like. It was some random encounter that when he told his friend about it, they thought that was weird. And even the friends were like, oh, that's not a serious threat. Now, after they found him dead and there was no evidence of foul play, and we know that sometimes police mess things up, how hard do you think they actually would have looked for her? Now, maybe some of his friends try to find her, but if you have no name and no description and only a city, she might not even be from there. So when people are like, well, maybe that was all bullshit anyway because they never found that woman, I don't think that's really quite fair because... It's like a needle in a haystack. How would you ever find this woman? Okay? You wouldn't. It's not that simple. So, granted, it's possible she doesn't exist. But just because nobody could find her, I, 
doesn't mean that she doesn't. Just wanted to say that. This does also mention the religious bookstore that he visited and the manager was Rodney Higuchi. Said that the distressed young man grabbed several crucifixes. And when questioned about the intentions, admitted to, Christopher admitted that he was attempting to ward off attacks of witchcraft. I know that, so he had called Sammy on the 12th, called her again on the 14th, you know, with the weird things happening. The 16th, he, something made him leave his apartment and stay at a hotel. Sammy couldn't reach him. I guess there were no, you know, there wasn't really cell phones. He didn't have one. And called the local police to do the welfare check on her friend. Um, Christopher's apartment door was locked, et cetera, et cetera. The 17th, I guess Sammy heard from Christopher one more time, but it was an answering machine message. And in this message, apparently he sounded calm and resigned and said they had almost gotten him and that he expected to die. He visited a Catholic priest in the bookstore once more. He said that he would visit, but his prediction was true. The morning of April 18th is when they found his body. And uh, yeah, myo myocarditis is an inflammation that leads to heart failure. Um, this person posits a couple of theories. He scared himself to death. But if it was an inflammation, I, I don't know. Um, also that maybe Christopher suffered from a mental illness because it seems like he could have been hallucinating or disassociating. I also think some of it sounds like sleep paralysis, etc. He wasn't sleeping well. You can hallucinate when you're sleep deprived. But, but another interesting point is he was, remember I mentioned he was a fitness geek. And so he took supplements every day, they say. And they were even less regulated than they are now. I mean, they had things like ephedrine in them that is basically like speed, isn't it? I remember taking some once in the 90s that actually literally made me so dizzy that I fell. And I figured out that the only thing I was doing different was that, and I stopped taking it. I don't remember what they were. And then I was fine. Some of it is listed as, I think, if I'm saying it correctly, Ma Huang Ma is, a, is an herb, but obviously medicines come from herbs. That doesn't mean they're safe. Um, and that's what it was. So who knows what's in some of those or exactly what he was taking. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad I went to Reddit here because I wanted to also direct you to, I'd listen to what, it's a video, but really it's mostly voice. Bedtime Stories. Bedtime Stories uh, is a link you can follow. Or if you go to this Reddit thread, Unresolved Mysteries, The Witch's Curse, The Strange Death of Christopher. Uh, they also list uh, Seattle Times articles, etc. Yeah, there's a physician here who is not a cardiologist who does say myocarditis is usually an infection or a toxin. And then they go, these people go on to, it's actually very interesting to watch them talk about what sort of health problems could maybe cause you to hallucinate. Um, here's a person who says, your body can misinterpret the pain or chest tightness with an inflamed heart as an anxiety. Uh, you know, so your brain is anxious. It sends a signal to your heart that bad stuff might happen. Then you might go into your fight or flight reflex. You know, 
it can start to mess you up a little bit. A lot of interesting discussion here, which I'm not going to try to... And then there's people who wonder if the woman had spiked his drink with something. Which, see, they seem to kind of blow it off here because I, I think because some of the people are not sure she even existed. But I think that's valid as well. What if... Because they sounded like they were sort of... There was business stuff going on, and I think what I understood is that he somehow met her through this business stuff. You know, and there's quite often business dinners and things like that, and maybe he was just having a harmless, or coffee, whatever. She could have spiked him with something that didn't didn't kill him till later. You know, some sort of toxic, and it could have made him hallucinate in that. Who knows, right? Who knows? Some people posit that, uh, you know, you get this infection from IV drug use. But all of his friends swear that he wasn't like that. Um, or he just suddenly had a psychotic break, but you would think there would be warning. Someone else here mentions the Pendleton witch trials again. Uh, that was more specifically a young girl supposedly cursed a man and he died soon after. And it was probably because he actually believed it. Uh, might be another good podcast episode, yeah? Some people can get myocarditis from Lyme disease. Um... So it's all really weird. Who knows? I think that I'm leaning towards the nocebo, but also possibly she might have might have spiked him with something that maybe she wasn't even intending for him to die. Who knows? Maybe she just wanted him to pass out. And maybe it just affected him differently and it ended up killing him later. It could have been accident. Whatever it was could have actually not been meant to kill him, right? Or the whole freaking thing is a coincidence and something happened that made him suddenly get sick, you know. I don't know. Um, whatever the case, the woman, like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, lady, you know, if you really did say that to him, um, what the hell? fuck is wrong with you so what he didn't want to go out with you geez get over it i do have to it does make you wonder though that if she is out there somewhere or was out there i think she would was in her 40s at the time would have been so she'd be like you know 60 something now she could still be out there it does make you wonder she could have just been fucking with him but if she was serious makes you wonder if this woman has done anything to anybody else and I don't necessarily mean witchcraft. I mean, like, freaked anybody else out or spiked their drinks or whatever it is that happened. So there you go. There's my two, okay, they had heart, you know, they died because of something in their heart. But the discoveries and circumstances are fucking bizarre. Bizarro. Let me know what you think. You know, leave me some comments at uh, PodPinky on Twitter. Come to the Instagram for some photographs. Pinky underscore podcast. And for those of you who were there before, that changed a little bit. I should probably change my show notes. Um, PinkySquarePress.com. Come to Patreon.com slash PinkySquarePress. If you don't want to support me monetarily, that's cool. I'm not mad. But you can... Review, follow, subscribe, share wherever you listen to podcasts, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, you know, you can write reviews there. That would be awesome. 
that's the most helpful and sharing my links and stuff on Twitter and other socials is very helpful. I like to have listeners, new listeners. Um, I like to interact with you. And you can also write me with your stories, as I said at the top of this, for the mini pods, sroit at pinkyswearpress.com. That's all in my bio on Twitter as well, podpinky on Twitter. And yeah, hit me up. Let me know what you think of these two weird cases. Or if you have more information about them, please let me know. Um, Oh, that's perfect. So it looks like I've been recording the whole time. Yay! (laughs) Hopefully nothing happens when I try to play it back and edit. It looks like we're at about an hour. I think that's a pretty good episode. Yeah, do you think? Although somehow I keep thinking I'm forgetting something. Do I, should I add a sound effect? Yeah, no. Um, you know, obligatory, maybe disclaimer. You know, witches, generally, we don't go around trying to hex everybody we meet, especially just because they didn't want to go out with us. And, you know, we don't try to kill them and shit like that. Okay, you know, in case you weren't quite aware of that. In case the random person stumbles across my podcast and is like, witches are evil. Because there are people out there who do think this. So, um, for the record, you could maybe kind of call me a witch. Oh, screw it. Call me a witch. And uh, I have never personally murdered anybody that I know of. No, I'm just kidding. That woman was just messed up. That's all she was, okay? She just messed up. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I guess I didn't have to say that. You're all cool, right? Thank you for listening to this week's Pinky Pod. And I hope you stay well and stay funky and send me some weird shit. Poo-poo-poo-pow! Poo-pow-poo-pow! Wait, wait, I'm not done. Oh, as I played this back, I realized I forgot to shout out some sources when I was trying to put all of this Ziggy thing together. Wormwoodchronicles.net Above top, topsecret.com Examinerlive.co.uk MysteriousUniverse.org HistoricMysteries.com AstonishingLegends.com And even after looking at all of those places, I still got so very little. So yeah, now I am truly finished. Poo-poo-poo-pow!